Hey, what's up, y'all? It's Will with Schedulefly. I had a great time with Angela Salamanca and Marshall Davis talking about their new concept that's going to go in the Durham Food Hall. It's called Exvoto. Um, we actually were at Gallo Palon, uh, which is a mezcaleria that they uh, have together in Raleigh. And I'm telling you that because we spent probably half an hour with me asking all kinds of questions about mezcal. I had never had it before, and I was fortunate enough to be able to try some while we were recording. It was fantastic. But we also talked about what they're doing with their new concept and why it's special. And boy, it was just a great conversation. Uh, I have so much respect for Angela. She's been on the podcast before. She had, she was in our book, uh, our second book, Restaurant Owners in Court Part 2. Marshall has been on the podcast before. I, I had never met him in person. Fabulous dude. Really enjoyed hanging out with him. Enjoyed hanging out with both of them. Uh, they're very busy. They had a lot going on, but they were kind enough to take over an hour with me. And we just got into all kinds of stuff. So enjoy this podcast. And again, if you if you don't know what Mezcal is, you'll learn about it. If you do, uh, you'll learn probably something you didn't already know. And if you don't care about Mezcal, then you can probably skip through the first 30 minutes or so after once we start talking about it a few minutes in. Uh, otherwise, thank you all for listening. And oh, one more thing. At Centro, uh, which is downstairs uh, from where we were, it's Angela's restaurant. Uh, when we got done, I had steak tacos there and they were absolutely phenomenal. I will not forget having those steak tacos ever. Fantastic. So if you're in Raleigh, interested in some tacos, head over to Centro uh, in downtown Raleigh. All right. Thank you all for listening. Have a good one. We are live. What's up, everybody? Will with Schedulefly. And this is actually the first time um, we've had multiple people on at one time before, but I actually have three mics now for all three. So we, you all have to share a mic. So I'm with Marshall and Angela, and we're here at... Uh, Gallo Pallone. That's, That's right. right. There we go. Okay. <laughs> I was, was telling Marshall, I took French, so I'm terrible with uh, Spanish pronunciation. And my kids are taking Spanish, and I can't help them at all, so it's probably a good thing. But um, uh, Thank you all for taking the time to do this today. Sure. You all have a lot going on. You're really busy. Uh, we have Centro downstairs, Gallo Pallone here. Now, and, and, and you two are, we've actually talked to each of you individually before about Exvoto when it was like, concept stage kind of so where are we now <laughs> well, <laughs> <The> semi-concept stage <laughs> yeah. by the way I, I did hear last night uh from a friend of mine that had trip um i don't know where it was one of your pop-ups he had he had some of your food he said it was phenomenal that's yeah. good to hear he said yeah. it was absolutely phenomenal so it's been really great uh where are we um the place where Exvoto is going to live, um, it's in construction still. Durham Food Hall, is that what it, Which is a Durham Food Hall, so that is uh, still in process. So uh, Exvoto right now, it's living in the, the pop-ups <laughs> that we are doing around town. It's living in the back of my vehicle right now. So, yeah, some of them in the back of your vehicle, some in the shed, <laughs> some <Yes. laughs> in the storage, like different places. Uh, 
But I think uh, what has been really incredible about this time uh, of construction and like I would call it um, transition is that uh, we've had the opportunity to test a lot of things out with lots of uh, really good success um, and lots of big, big efforts because making pop-ups are really hard. Right. What, tell, t- give me, give us like a, a quick um, summary overview of what the what is the concept. Okay. Uh, do you want to speak on this, Marshall? Sure. I mean, it, it, this project, um, it, it really was kind of born out of um, a focus on something that we were both interested in, um, kind of the same as Gaia Pallone was an interest in a very specific spirit. This became a focus on um, a specific product, um, and we realized that we were not able to to get tortillas that had the flavor and consistency and all of that stuff um, here in town. Um, and so we wanted to, you know, explore how we could do that. Um, you couldn't. Why couldn't you? What? Well, it was, you know, most people um, are are approaching tortilla making the same way and so um, there was no one here that was actually making their own masa um, and we had experienced some really you know delicious tortillas down in our, through our travels uh, in Mexico mm-hmm. and um, that was the the hump was that it's a labor-intensive thing that not many people are are going to do um, just because of that with making their own masa what what get get into some of the weeds here with me tell me what that means so we are cooking corn um, with uh, an alkali solution, uh, and the process is called nixtamalization. And then we're grinding the corn and making our own masa. That's basically what it is, okay. right? But not many people are doing that. Not a lot of people. I think a lot of the industry, and I don't want to speak for the industry sure, sure. In, in, in this area, because uh, I'm not an expert on that, but from my experience, um, there is not a lot of that in town or around uh, because, you know, people are using either prepackaged product or um, making masa out of dehydrated, you know, maseca. Okay. Um, which oh, all of it works, right? Right, right? All of it works. Uh, but the end product is a little different. And I, and I think that what we experience in our travels... Uh, and in the exploration of Mexican culture, really, when we go to Mexico, was this really different product uh, in terms of corn. Okay. And we really just fell in love with that. And I think Marshall, it's, it's so right when he says that it was the same thing with mezcal. You know, we fell in love with mezcal and we wanted to bring the experience of, of drinking mezcal to rally. And that's why Gallo Pelon exists today. And corn... It's, you know, it's the same thought process. It's like we really love that experience. How do we bring it to Raleigh? How do we bring it to the community where we live so we can have it and we can share with other people? Okay. It, so Exvoto has uh, a mezcal? No. no. Not yet. Not yet. Okay. <laughs> this, this location certainly would not because um, of a lot of reasons. Um, you know, the North Carolina liquor laws right now in a food hall um, the food hall itself could have that permit. Oh, gotcha. But the so it's a permit logistic right. kind of okay. issue. But I think for us, it's probably a good thing because it's allows us to really focus on what the food offering is going to be. Right. Okay. 
Um, I think we both have um, lots of really great ideas about what could ex Voto become. Okay. You know, that we want to bring it to Raleigh too, uh, that we want to have multiple locations with it, um, that it doesn't have to be like one thing. Um, so I think well, there's a lot of possibilities around the brand. All right, I want to take a, a slight detour uh, because I, we were, Marsh and I were talking a little bit ago. I was telling him that I've really never been into tequila, not because I didn't like it, just because I've always kind of had whiskey and I would admit I haven't really ventured out much. And the only time I had tequila was when I was in college and drank too much and got sick and then didn't want to have tequila anymore. So I, I just have it. But I had some recently. My friends are really into it and, and also Mezcal. But I don't even know enough to like I'll ask stupid questions like tell me what mezcal is like what I mean literally that's, that's, we're in a mezcal I don't even know I, like I can act like I but I don't I don't even know really what it is so what what is the difference between that and tequila and why are they different and uh, well first of all you're not you know I, I don't mind like I'm I'm I literally don't know so I'm gonna ask basic questions just because this is for my own education hopefully somebody else will enjoy learning but I'm sure a lot of people probably don't may not know as much about it either Right. I mean, and, and we welcome that here. I, I think at Gaia Pallone, we must answer that question 20 plus times an evening. Okay. Um, and it's, you know, slowly, that's different than 50 to 100 times when we first opened. I feel like more people are learning about yeah. it, but it's certainly not an expected thing for people to know. Um, mezcal is an agave spirit, much like tequila. Okay. Um, although it is... There are many there are many different types of agave that you can distill um, to make mezcal. Okay. Um, it's also the cooking process is different. So mezcal is going to have um, the the agave plants. The hearts of the plants are going to be smoked underground or roasted underground. Um, what do you for, mean underground? Like a, in a pit. Okay. Like uh, yeah, pit pit cooked for days, and then that the flesh of that that fruit. Um, will be fermented and then distilled. And so the, the final spirit's going to have some of that smoky character to it, okay. an earthiness. Um, uh, okay. And usually we'll try to draw a, a parallel between wine and mezcal because all wine's made of grapes, but the grape uh, has a lot to do with the flavor um, of that wine as well as the terroir where that grape was grown. Mm -hmm. Same kind of situation with mezcal. The varietal of agave is going to have a lot to do with the character, but also the place, and maybe more importantly, the place. Maybe um, more importantly, the place. I okay. think that, so uh, that okay. if, you, if you think about mezcal and then you think about tequila, um, and to say that a lot of people have had the same experience that you had, college or really young, really drunk with really cheap tequila, and then never again, um, that, I think that is a common experience for a lot of folks. Yeah. I think that have you ever gotten like really crazy drunk out of whiskey? Uh, well, <laughs> is that a personal question? <laughs> no, I don't mind. No, I'm not saying that. I'm not pausing because I'm just um, yes, but like beam and coke kind of thing. Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. I don't. I mean, I drank too much in co like everything. I drank too much. Yeah. Like I didn't drink. I didn't drink liquor for a long time after college because I got you know overdid it like yeah. in too many ways. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Um, but. Just in the last, uh, I don't know, five, seven years, I just, 
got into whiskey, bourbon, mm-hmm. but I mean like not often and just like we're, I mean like you're sipping it. I drink and really it neat and I, yeah. I take my time. It's just a much more mature way yeah. of approaching it. Right. And just really starting to learn to appreciate. And I, and I think that, you know, I think that for us, the intention with tequila certainly was was that you know like how do we educate people that you can yes. actually sip and enjoy tequila yes. without having to shoot it without having yes. to like uh, pass out and you know all, all the things you that don't have to have that. the salt and the, <laughs> the you don't the or you could or you know or you can experience it differently um, yeah. and I think that so tequila in itself it's a heavily industrialized spirit mm. in the way that it's um, planted and harvested. Uh, the species of agave that is used for tequila is a specific species. Okay. Um, and that is heavily, like, cultivated and harvested. It's the it's it's blue agave, mm-hmm. and um, tequila right now legally uh, just has to be 51% blue agave. 51% blue agave. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so the stuff that's cheaper is riding that line hard right and fast, 51%. Mm-hmm. The other 49% is a neutral spirit, um, typically something very cheap, such and, as, well, I guess it's you know, essentially like vodka or rum. You know, okay. a cane distillate typically would would be cane distillate. So something like a gold tequila. When you see gold, that's symbolizing that it was you know a lower percentage of agave, and then lots this of other fillers, percentage, lots of sugar, yeah, lots filler, of color sugar, and okay, all that. And so, usually we start the conversation there with tequila. We say you know, that's that's typically the type that people drank a lot of and felt sick the next day. And we okay. say, this is kind of why, you know, because you were, you know, drinking something that was only 51% agave and the rest we don't really know a lot about. Um, so let's start by just having a tequila that's 100% blue agave. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's, it's not going to, you know, necessarily cost a lot more, but that's a starting point. So um, you've gone from 51% to 100% blue agave at this point. So we're only on one fruit. Right. Okay. And and then, you know, so with Centro, the tequila bar, um, all the offerings behind the bar there are 100% blue agave. Okay. We just start there. We don't offer anything that's, uh, they're called mixtos. Um, we wouldn't offer a gold tequila. Okay. Um, so then, you know, the next step of that is you've seen tequilas that are gold in hue, but the ones that we keep behind the bar are, they're called reposados. So they've been rested in a barrel. Reposado. What kind of barrel? Um, typically, uh, American, um, it, some can be virgin barrels, some can be, uh, a previously a bourbon barrel. So it, it, okay. it depends. American oak. Um, so American oak. So, typically. but there's no, okay. So it's not like bourbon where it has to be like newly filled, mm-hmm. charred white no, no, oak no, no, or whatever no. you're using, mm-hmm. you're repurposing right. barrel. Okay. Certain brands use, you know, new barrels uh-huh. because they want to have a lower impact or they want that grassy kind of flavor. Okay. To be imparted, some want that heavy, dark, you know, those vanilla and caramel notes. So it really depends on what they're going for. But the, the, the reality is that you really want to rest, you know, like you really want to rest the spirit. That's why it's called reposado, mm-hmm. which means rested. Right. Reposado. 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 Okay. Mm-hmm. Rested. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the fruits, so the earth, the terroir, where it was planted, and then the, 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 the wood, cook. the barrel, that... That's going to have a, that's going to have a lot of impact, bing, but okay. we have to kind of separate the two just because, you know, with, with mezcal, they, they do age some and they rest some, um, but it's typically consumed without aging it. Yeah. They might rest it in glass. So that's another distinction between tequila and mezcal. Yeah. Okay. Tequila, since you're only working with one type of agave, uh-huh. 
you can do variations of that profile by aging it in a barrel. Okay. Whereas with mezcal, you don't want to hide the characteristics of that agave you used because it is kind of the the terroir you want that to speak yeah. through the spirit. Okay. Um, and and also we didn't even get into this, but you know tequila. The reason we're using blue agaves in tequila production is not because it's the best agave. It's because it's abundant and it has the fastest turnaround time. So about a six-year growth cycle, which is also pretty long when you think about corn or something. You know, used six, for, years, six so years. So that's a short growth cycle. That's a for short on the high end. Like, yeah. We're talking about 20, 30 years on some of these agaves um, that okay. are represented in mezcal. So blue agave is what's used in tequila. Correct. Mm-hmm. Not so, in mezcal. Right. They're, they have or, made some with be, using blue but agave. Typically, but it's a longer. Typically, it's longer. Uh, a How lot many of types of agave are there? There's <laughs> over. There's hundreds. Of okay, them, I think, okay. Out there, many. The, okay. As far as what's actually in bottles, um, I think the number I most recently heard was in the 30s. Um, you okay. know, as, as far as actually, you know, being exported. Um, in Mexico, a, a lot of these kind of underrepresented agaves are used to make mezcal, but um, that's going to be one big difference there. Is, it, the is mezcal only in? Agave from Mexico, or correct? Okay, and it's it. and it's only in certain states that are legally allowed to produce mezcal. Same thing with tequila, and there's not much overlap. Okay, um, so it's you know it's like Scotch or Irish whiskey. Yeah, you know similar, close in in proximity, but different profiles. Okay, um, I mean we could you know we could talk for days yeah. about mezcal. It's, okay. it's a really really interesting thing. Usually we recommend people sit down do a flight. Um, have some tequila and then have a few mezcals. That way they can, you know, see the difference. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, and it, it doesn't take a, um, an educated palate to understand the difference uh, at the base level, but it is something that you can get really deep down into that rabbit hole. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, we've really grown some, some of our regulars at Gaia Polona are, you know, really interested. They have their own collections at home. They come in to see what we've been able to bring in. Um, and in a controlled state like North Carolina, it's extremely difficult for yeah. us to bring it in is. anything that's not Jim Beam, you know, um, <laughs> and not knocking Jim Beam, but, you know, no, no, just no, saying no. It's, I, yeah. it's not something that, that, that we offer currently at the bar. And, um, well, and I, I think the other thing that, that makes Mezcal really special is that because he's not a heavy, you know, like heavily industrialized uh, production, it's hard it's hard to get, you know, like Mezcal the majority. Yeah, it's and it's expensive. It's expensive. Can you get it in the ABC stores here? Yeah, you can. Yeah, you, you can get, get some. some you can get some. That it's but it's not. <laughs> it's probably not a lot of it, and it's expensive. Right. There, there's there's two two or three bottles that uh, of things that you can now get in North Carolina, and these are only since Gaio has been operating. Yeah, like okay. as of three years, four as years of three ago. Three years. Because when when Gaio opened, there was. There were two brands. You could get Monte Alban, which was the stuff that most people had had when they had traveled through Mexico and had a shot with a worm in it, um, which is the stuff that you don't, you just don't, you just don't drink. drink. Yeah. It's kind of the, I don't know, the tin high or the aristocrat whiskey, you know, of okay. uh, of kind of your world. It's the stuff that you you know lower than well. Yeah, you know, you just right. you just don't want to like drink. Floor. Yeah, the floor. <laughs> um, but there are a few brands now that we've been able to bring in um, and, you know, cocktail bars around here have picked up a few bottles, you know, to use in cocktails. 
Um, most of the stuff you find there is cocktail level, not something that you would necessarily sip. sip. Um, you okay. could, but it's not. And I really think that mezcal is best is best when you when you sip it. Absolutely neat. neat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think is, that is, is best. And it's smoke. This is, is this so it's smoky because this is like the Elay Scotch is smoky and mm-hmm. they use peat. Yeah. So it's and it's kind of briny because it's down by the sea. So right. But so the smoky p- profile is similar a little bit. Similar in, in that I think that a lot of people's um, kind of barometer for smoke is kind of one thing. If you have brisket, you know, or mm. if you have scotch, it, or if you know you have a s'more, it's all smoky. But those are very different flavors. Sure. Um, we kind of, you know, it's the closest parallel we have to something that's familiar to people is to relate it to scotch, but it's a very different smoke yeah. quality. Um, I would say more on the campfire and more of a, an earthy flavor than it is necessarily smoky. And I think the more mezcal that you have, not in one night necessarily, but the more you're, you're kind of educating your palate with it, the smoke becomes kind of a, an underlying thing mm. and you recognize the other, other flavors in it. Um, but yeah, I, a lot of people would call it smoky tequila, which you know pains me <laughs> on the inside every time I hear smoky it. Smoky tequila. But that's that is the the common reference that we hear a thousand times a night at the bar is, a, you know, a couple on a date and one person will say to the other, you know, what's mezcal, and the other person says, oh, it's smoky tequila. Smoky tequila. Okay. <laughs> 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 right. Uh, that's but yeah. your okay. So that's how. Okay. So that's like the sort of base level generalized description of it but it's um uh but you're now you, and you how many mezcals do you have i think here? um last last we counted uh, around 55 um different and we had about 13 varietals of agave represented so 55 types 13 varietals mm-hmm. okay and and okay and do you have the most mezcal of, like a we're the, to the best of our knowledge right now, we're the, 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 the state, only mezcal bar in North Carolina. Only one in North Carolina. Um, we're definitely the only one that I'm aware of, but, you know, bars and restaurants are opening up all the time. There, there are definitely some tequila bars that have upped their ante okay. as far as the mezcal they stock. Um, why? Why? What, what's, why is, I mean, it's, it's just so hard to get. Well, I think, it's I think, I think Education people, or I think it's it. become a little bit more popular, so people uh, want to have, want to be able to offer it. Okay. Uh, but I think mezcal is just an expensive spirit because of the way that it's produced, um, the quantities that you know that people are producing. Um, so it's not. It's it's becoming this hip thing, but I think mezcal producers are really fighting hard to keep it uh, as this really special tradition okay. and and an operation that it is. Um, and that's why it's important to educate the consumers on the difference between the bottle that you paid 80 bucks for at the liquor store versus another bottle that you might be able to get for just 20 bucks more that is so much more superior um, that's giving credit to the person that distilled it. It's, you know, it's, a, it's just the, the difference between a, you know, fine art and a knockoff. Um, and now you're seeing the big major liquor brands out there. They want to have their mezcal. They want to have that in their well, yeah, portfolio. Yeah, I mean, if it's because that's what I was going to ask. I mean, if it's so, then it becomes a, it is a cut because it's a, it becomes a branding and, and marketing thing where you can, you can bottle it just like in the whiskey world where yeah. 
you know, you might have the same juice in 10 different bottles with 10 different labels. It's the yep. same, exact product, same exact product, but this person has marketed it, you know, at $90 a bottle or they're holding back and making it really specialized. I mean, uh-huh. there's a lot of, you know, marketing now involved in Mezcal. And, you know, we just saw recently that, um, that the fellows from Breaking Bad, um, Brian Cranston and uh, yeah. uh, the other fellow, I don't know his name, but... Um, you Let's know, call him Jesse. Jesse, yeah, <laughs> Pinkman, Pinkman, yeah. Pinkman. <laughs> so they have a they have a new mezcal brand, and they were represented okay. down at Tales of the Cocktail in New Orleans. And there was a lot of pushback from the mezcal community, you know, excitement because not from the necessarily the mezcal community, but excitement yeah. from people in the industry because here are these these celebrities, right? They've got this brand, um, you know, and they talk about kind of where it's coming from, and they yeah. know the right buzzwords to use. Okay. Um, and then you've got the people on the other side of the mezcal industry that are going, hey, don't be fooled. You know, there's no way to keep up with the volume that they're right. having and still maintain all these quality, uh, all these the quality control. Um, while we were down um, on our first visit, we were working with um, a brand called Mezcal Vago, which you can get in the liquor store um, here in North Carolina. And it's fantastic mezcal. Um, but the government... Uh, you know, the regulation uh, on the product was really astounding. I mean, we were in a house with three walls where they were <laughs> distilling this spirit. I mean, it was really some, you know, guerrilla style stuff. Yet, you know, everything was checked. The pH, the alcohol percentage, like the, the hygiene of, of how things are going on. Like it was highly regulated, but still very rustic where, where was this this was down in sola de vega um in, in oaxaca. oaxaca okay yeah so Did, so is it all distilled so some some is distilled in copper some is distilled in uh clay um and then it's it's got to be um the distillation has to happen there in mexico in mexico and then you could in theory ship and bottle or brand but most people i mean it's just too expensive to do that so these brands that are coming in and, and buying up, they're talking to the mezcalero who distills this spirit. Yeah. They're saying, I'm going to buy X amount from you. And then they're going to bottle it and package it. And some people will give the credit to the person that distilled it. Some people will mask over it. Some okay. people will blend this guy's stuff with this guy's stuff and this guy's stuff and just make something because they got a good deal on this. Okay. And you know, this guy's still expensive. I mean, it's, it's becoming a, a whole thing. Is this okay? So like, Bourbon, to be, quote, bourbon, it has to be distilled in the U.S. Right. Is that the same with right. Mezcal yeah. has to be? Yeah, it has to, has to be distilled in Mexico. In Mexico. The, the agave plants have to come from the states that are there for production, so you wouldn't be importing agave plants. Um, there is some of that right now. I mean, it, you know, just like anything, um, there's some funny business that goes on. Um, yeah. Even yeah. with, you know, produce and, and seafood. Um, yeah. You know, so, yeah, there's a lot of regulation to it. Um, I mean, again, it's it's a whole wormhole of, of conversation, but it is, you know, th- all of this, the, the fact that we went down and had our hands kind of in the process was a game-changing experience for me. And so that's why with Exfoto we're taking the same kind of from the ground up approach to the product. You know, we want to, we want to meet the farmers. We want to hold the dried corn. We want to taste the difference between all these different heirloom varietals of corn. 
we want to see how this guy grinds it, how, how this guy cooks it. We want to see how this person cooks it. You know, we want to learn the whole process so that we can really shape what we're doing uh, with the most information we can um, and really have our hand in it from the beginning. So you, so you have, so you had Centro mm-hmm. and, and, and um, n- now we're in a, a Mezcal bar. So you, you're, cause you're Marshall, you're like not really involved here at, 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 a lot now. Right. You got, okay. And how about you, Angela, how involved are you with Centro? How much of your time's on Exvoto? So I am, I am the current owner of Centro and Gallo. Uh-huh. And I have a partnership with my uncle. Okay. And Marshall is uh, Marshall and I are creating a new partnership for Exvoto Ex as a different business and yeah. and project. Okay. Okay. Um, so the focus has been on uh, the food portion, not the mezcal portion, but because of the food. Why did you go to Durham? Like, why the Durham food hall? Why not some food hall in Raleigh? You know, I think that uh, I'm going to say because he was meant to be. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think Ser- we had. Serendipity? I think so, in a right. way. And I think for us, uh, you know, Durham Market is, is, is a place that is exciting and new. Um, everything kind of aligned for us to uh, move this first um, iteration of, of Exvoto into Durham. Um, in the way that it had not happened in Raleigh, to okay. be honest with you. Okay, right. okay. We had explored op- opportunities here in Raleigh, and um, and then Durham kind of presented itself, and we thought, you know, this is a new start for us as a as a partnership um, for this business, and you know, it's a place that we love to go eat and drink. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a really active, uh, vibrant food and beverage community out there. Sure. And so we said, hey, it's a new business. Let's let's do it in a new place let's kind of explore this um and then the location was right across the street from the farmer's market which is a place that we both visit you know as often as we can and it just really tied into the kind of grassroots you know literally um it tied into the business in a way that just made sense yep the so in the food hall is this again i'm gonna ask basic like is it is shared kitchen or how, how did how this do these things is. set up this one is and it's unique in that um so this space there'll be 10 um different concepts within this you know the the, the bottom floor of the liberty warehouse okay um seven of those are going to have you know a hotline on the floor that you'll be able to see cooking happening okay um the others don't require that for what they offer are you and one of those seven we are one mm-hmm. of the seven okay and then there's a commissary kitchen where each tenant has space within that. Like so prep space. Like if you, you know, see, you know, uh, Hell's Kitchen on TV or, no, not Hell's Kitchen, but one of those ones where each one has a little station. Yeah. It's kind of that scenario where okay. you've got, you know, your location and then you share a fridge, you share a freezer, you share some other common amenities, a dishwasher. Um, and then there's a porter system that helps connect the dots and make sure that, you know, dishes are getting back to the dish pit and then are coming back out to your specific kind of kiosk if you want to call it that so are there shared employees or so we pay as a tenant we kind of become a tenant of a think of it like a mall i mean it's well, really I'm trying like a mall. to get this mm-hmm. like you know you go to a food court in a mall but then they all have their own kitchen so we have our kitchen you have your okay we have our hotline there but we have a prep 
area that's a share in a shared space. In shared space. So okay. if you know for the for the the guest that comes to visit us, it would just look like they were at a small iteration of a restaurant and uh-huh. they can see stuff happening and okay. they get their food. They order their food. They get their food. Okay. okay. Behind the scenes, you know where those tomatoes are being chopped might not be five feet beyond where they order it might be off in the commissary kitchen and then those chopped tomatoes would come out onto the hotline so it's a way it's kind of a new approach um, that allows us to rent a space that's smaller than if we needed to have our own dishwasher our our own fridge our own freezer all that space um we made it yeah it made it more affordable to us right so they can get you know they could get people and that was kind of um a dare um, who's been working on the hall for years, you know, it was it was kind of her angle into this was, let's try it this way. And, you know, in the food hall, there's all this, uh, the, the idea is that there's a lot of collaboration. And, you know, by putting everybody in a shared kitchen, it kind of reinforces that collaboration and everyone's working as a team. Um, it just becomes more of a, you know, a, a team, a more of a family kind of operation. And there will be a cocktail bar that's at the center of those 10 uh, different businesses. So you can come in, you can still have your beer, wine, cocktails, whatever that is. Um, but, but the whole is managing in. Right. So you're, are you on, so you're only serving food? Mm-hmm. We only serve food, yeah. okay. um, but you know, you could easily come in and get a margarita and okay. tacos. Uh, how, so, okay, where are you, so you're doing these pop-ups now. Yes. Where, where do you prepare? <laughs> it's a it's really a kind of a, a guerrilla kitchen operation so we do some prep uh, in the centro kitchen um, we do some prep in a um, auxiliary kitchen called kitchen archive okay which uh, is where the grinder that we have for the corn to make the masas it's being housed right now mm-hmm. okay and then we do a kind of a base level prep that same kind of prep that would take place in that commissary in durham and then we bring all that on site. We set up a, a, a grill, a griddle, um, you know, all the things we need. We basically set up a little hotline wherever we go, and we sell food that way. How many of those are you doing a week or, or a month? Um, I think we've done maybe 10. In, in a little bit more. Do you think more? Mm-hmm. In this year. So it's not like we're doing one every week. We've We've tried to stay as active as we can, and then we've done some private events too. Okay, because right. I've seen, like, I follow all the local places that are, you, you know, um, on Instagram. It seems like I, I've seen a, a good number of mm-hmm. advertisements or wh- where you're doing something. Right. Um, we, I, I would say we do basically one every two weeks okay. on average, um, or at least have some sort of project once every two weeks, um, sometimes more frequently, and then sometimes we might have a month where... We're focused on other things. Um, What's the most recent one you did? We just had one at, uh, over at Tasty Beverage um, Tasty last Beverage. Monday, and we've got one upcoming at Short Walk Wines on the 10th. Okay. We've actually got one tomorrow um, that's a private event. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Okay. All right. Um, so really, we just kind of look for fun opportunities. It's, it's, it's a way to keep us busy, um, you know. Um, trying, trying different ideas, yeah. solidifying some items. Right. Um, yeah. And really, because with, with anything, but especially with making tortillas, you know, it's, it's a thing that takes a long time to dial in. And, you know, you can, make, you can make one relatively easy if you know how, but making it the best it can be, you know, takes a long time. And we just continue. Uh, every time we do a pop-up, we, 
tweak something, play with something. So you're something. still, okay. You're still, I mean, uh, yeah, well, we were, we're still playing with the recipe for just our tortilla in addition to the marinade for the steak or the, you know, the, the way we prepare the vegetables or, or, you know, all the different tamales that we've done. We've, we've really been playful with mm-hmm. the tamales. But, um, yeah, these pop-ups give us an opportunity. And depending on what that partnership is like, um, we might do something fun that's playful just for that one option. You know, so we did one at, at Bitamanda, um, and we we kind of took some of their popular menu items and reimagined them kind of through the scope of what we do. Um, oh, and that cool. was a lot of fun, but it's not necessarily something that we're going to do at, at our restaurant. Yeah. Um, and now, for the most part, we focus on things that you will actually be able to when you come to the mm-hmm. restaurant okay and when will the restaurant be open it's a good question right now we're we're um, we've most recently been told october um so okay. that's kind of where we mentally are but you're this you're not so in this situation it's not like you have a space that you've leased and you're you're rolled into whatever's happened with the construction process or whatever there's a lot more i mean the, the food hall itself doesn't will open in october is that right or or the plan is that but you're right there's been a couple so there's there's two food food halls here in raleigh one of them opened kind of all at once and one of them opened as tenants were ready okay um the focus in durham is for all tenants for the food hall to open and everyone be day one everybody's operational how many um uh are they all new concepts or Actually, well, no, not all of them are new concepts. A lot of them are new collaborations. Okay. Um, a lot of them are kind of junior spinoffs from other working relationships. Um, and a few are just new focused concepts from a broader brand. Um, and there's, there's folks coming in from Chapel Hill, from Raleigh, and some, some locals from Durham. Um, it's really exciting. I mean, I think it is. I think it's going to be a really great offering altogether. I think the fact that the uh, hall is going to try to open all at the same time, like everybody ready to go at the same time, might delay the opening of the hall. Yeah. But I think in the long term, it will it will create a better experience for the guests. Right. Um, so, but you know, we we won't know until we know. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Okay. We, okay. Is the long term objective to you know you assume success at the food hall then? Then what? Then come back home. Yeah. The plan, the, the plan when we started talking about this years ago was to, to approach this industry, to do something in the, within this industry that was different than what we were currently doing. It, it wasn't, it was to do something that we could repeat. And if we, you know, did a really focused small menu of just really delicious things that we love to just copy and paste and put it in a new location, bring it to a different market. Um, you know, it's the fast casual concepts now that are chef driven I think it's definitely a, a new wave of, of, of the restaurant business um, you know you see a lot of pop-ups in major cities because there's you know there's a lot of excitement around a restaurant opening and then they might only get a good year out of that when there's so much competition so then they tear it down and do a new thing um, with us you know fortunately in North Carolina there's a lot of love behind brands that have existed for a long time so we don't have to exist only in that pop-up kind of sphere we can we can do this and do something in raleigh maybe do something in chapel hill do something in durham and who knows um that is the plan as of right now but again we're we're open to kind of see what it becomes um yeah i mean yeah 
Totally. Do you, are you, how much education are you doing with your customers on the significance of the, the product and what you're doing with the tortillas? And, and I mean, I mean, I think that is part of every conversation that we've had with, with everybody that has come to the pop-ups. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's part of our branding. It's part of our, you know, like e- everything that we're doing, it's, it has that as kind of like our letter of... Like our mission statement is mm-hmm. to kind of to, to celebrate it. But I would say that, uh, you know, a difference between Gallo Pallone where there is so much education, you know, people come in curious and want to learn about this specific thing we're doing, we would offer that to anyone. In fact, I, I had an hour-long conversation with a, a guy on Facebook who just wrote the account yesterday and wanted to talk about what we're doing. Um, but About Exvoto? About, about Exvoto, yeah, about, okay. about the process. He's a corn nerd that lives in, in Durham, and, he, and he, he's growing these different heirloom varietals, and he wants to, to bring some in and grind it and like learn about the process. And you know, we're going to really support that. But I would say that, you know, this is a fast casual, you know, coming in, grabbing some tacos. Like, we also don't need to beat people over the head with what we're doing. Yeah. I think that they're going to taste the tacos. They're mm-hmm. going to say these are good, hopefully. And they're going to, they, if they ask why are they so good, we're going to answer that question. But I don't think it's, I don't think it's necessarily at the forefront of everything we're doing. It's definitely the intention behind it. Um, but it's a taco stand. Yeah, you know, we're going to, we're going to sell some good tacos and, and hopefully people will, will appreciate the effort that's going into it. He's a, so he's heirloom varietal. Corn. Tell me about corn. I mean, corn is, is massively produced right. uh, for a variety of reasons in the U.S. Um, wh- so currently the corn that we are using for Exvoto is heirloom corn that comes from Mexico. Okay. So we're working with this company called Macienda. Uh-huh. And they've been really big in... Um, yeah, kind of working with farmers in Mexico to bring this, you know, heirloom corn back into existence. Heirloom corn. Is and it? Uh, it's land-raised varietals that existed a long time ago yeah, and hasn't okay. been, you know, n- not, not, geneti- not yeah. genetically modified. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's the real deal, like ancient corns. Um, and this company, Macienda, what's cool and the reason that it kind of parallels with the Mezcal conversation is that instead of coming in and taking over this farm and taking over this farm and trying to take all their corn, they're going into these farmers and saying, what of your, you know, of your harvest were you not able to sell at the market? We'll buy only what you can't sell and we'll silo it and then we'll find other, other buyers for it. So we're able to buy this corn that is it's helping these small farms mm-hmm. in Oaxaca and okay. then we get this amazing corn that we don't have access to in the U.S., um, period. Yep. So we don't have access to it at all now. Okay. Not at all. Okay. Uh, I mean, the guys that are doing these heirloom, heirloom varietals of corn here, you know, they they have such limited amounts. Even the even some, some of the bigger players, you know, we've we've reached out to some, and you know, they say, well, we're going to have this for a couple months, but you know, we don't know when we're going to have it again. Um, and there is a big difference between the corn that we're getting in Mexico. I mean, in in the way it looks, I mean, it's the kernels are are much larger. The nutritional value is much different. Um, this is, it's, it's a different product. It's a different product. Mm-hmm. Right. The, okay, now, so these are gr- these are n- not genetically modified. They're are they organically grown, mm-hmm. or is it okay? So everything's yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. And then, the, but there, but then your product is coming from the corn is coming from all types of different farms. Oh. So, 
right now it's different farmers in one in Oaxaca. In Oaxaca, and okay. so is that a city or a region? It's both. It's there's both. a state. It's a state, it's a state and a city. And then the capital is the city of Oaxaca. Where Where in Mexico is this? Uh, southwest. Southwest. Okay. Is that right? Yeah. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and so it is coming from different farmers, but it is the same, you know, it has the same terroir. It's coming from, okay. you know, it's that varietal. It's bolito. Or, so it would be, okay, so the end product is consistent. with Right. Yeah. Okay. And, that's, I, and I think that what we appreciate about what Macienda is doing is that they're really working with the farmers um, so they can actually, in turn, have a really good quality product to sell. Yeah, okay. Uh, so there's a lot of support. There's a lot of community building. Uh, there's a lot of education. Uh, so, you know, I, I would say that Macienda's values and mission really aligns with what we want to do. Right. Yeah. Um, which is really just honoring, you know, corn at its best. Is it a lot more expensive versus what you might procure It is. Here? It's got a, it's got a expense to it, you know. And, and really, I mean, part of it's the shipping. You know, that's, yeah. that's a major part of it. I think per ounce, it is more expensive. But shipped, it becomes, you know, exponentially more expensive. And we're trying to, right now, the, the first floor of my house is literally filled with bags of corn. Because, you know, for us, it, it would, we, would be char- we would have to charge $10 a taco if we bought one bag at a time to cook. You know, um, okay. so we yeah. bought, get a pallet. we're buying pallets. And What's the shelf life on that? So they say that it, it has quite a, a, a long shelf life as long as it's, you know, the uh, temperature's controlled and, you know, it's away from water and, and all that stuff. The way that they bag these, um, they're definitely meant to, to sit. Um, What's the, is, there, is it regulated? Mm-hmm. We, okay. So, yeah. you, I mean, it has to be regulated, of course. But, I mean, so is it like a mini year shelf life or is it mini yeah, months? So they, or? they were saying that, you know. I know, again, these are like basic questions, but I'm. No, no, Just it's real curious. It's valid. So there would be corn siloed for, you know, years because you know, it could potentially be siloed for years because you don't know what that next year's harvest is going to be like. So, you know, they store it properly so that it could be. The stuff that we're getting, you know, everything has a date of, of when it was dried. And, you know, you keep up with that. It's just like any, any sort of produce, um, you know, you check it. Um, it, it would have an odor. I mean, things would happen to it if it if it went bad. Um, but we haven't had any issues whatsoever, and it's dried. I mean, it's it's a dried grain. I mean, so you're. It's interesting because there's this. Um, you don't want to, as you said, beat the consumer over the head with this. But then your story is what you're doing and why you're doing it. The intention is a huge part of this. Like it's right. to me that. I mean, that sells me, like, I want to have that because it's not just the right. taco tastes good. It's right. the intention behind it and the level of thought and detail and love and um, care about what's going into this product is significant. Right. Well, I think, I think a challenge, you know, that we, we discuss a lot is you know, there's... There's bigger things out there um, culturally, even with Latin American cuisine. You know, certain yeah. people view certain cuisines as inexpensive versus other cuisines as expensive. And I think that, you know, I know Centro is going into its 12th year and, you know, there's still people that expect to get free chips and salsa with any sort of 
you know, Latin American meal they have. Right. Um, that a taco is a cheap thing and it should cost a dollar because you can get one at Burger sure. King for a dollar now. Yes. You know, and I think that the, the hurdle we have is that we don't want the business to become such a heady thing that people are only doing it as a, um, I don't know, you know, once a month because it's this uh-huh. intentional thing of going out and okay. eating this heirloom yeah, taco because yeah. you know i eat tacos i eat tacos three or four times a week yeah. maybe more <laughs> and we want to make sure that people don't feel like it's a too sp- too precious of a thing to enjoy on a daily basis right I'll, right you know, and, and also, even though it is too precious of a thing right i know <laughs> uh, and it's, so there's this there's this this back and forth i guess that we go through but the truth is down in mexico the tacos that you get that are inexpensive and readily available are made like this. And there are community molinos where you can, you can nixtamalize your own corn and take it to the community molino and for a small fee have them grind it. Mm-hmm. And then everybody's using fresh, fresh masa, you know, in a lot of these, these communities that, that we've, you know, gotten to go down and explore. And so we're trying to bridge that gap. It's the same thing with mezcal. You know, down, down in Mexico, you can have a pint glass of amazing mezcal for five dollars. I mean, sixteen ounces of of just amazing mezcal, which for would super be cheap. how much here? Oh my gosh, a, a pint glass of the <laughs> stuff that we would be one hundred and fifty dollars more. You know, we the mezcals that we pour start at seven dollars an ounce. And you pour. You told me earlier before off mic that we you do one ounce. Right. One ounce why, why one versus two? It, to make it reasonably affordable, yeah, you know, okay. most people consider a drink the ch- on the cheap end a, a drink being seven bucks. Yeah. So that's our cheapest mezcal and one ounce of it is seven dollars. Seven bucks. Okay. And then we have stuff. We've had stuff come through the bar here that you know is eighty to a hundred dollars an ounce. So one hundred and fifty dollars a shot. Uh, Two hundred dollars for a uh, you know pour of something like that 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 wouldn't be that expensive where it came from yeah. and so we've we've constantly battled that and tried to you know keep prices as reasonable as we possibly can right. here so that people can actually experience it and you know we've had folks come and visit that you know have spent a lot of time in oaxaca and you know they're surprised at how expensive mezcal is in the u.s it's not just here at, in north carolina i mean it's everywhere you, everywhere it's it, it's expensive it's an expensive spirit what is um okay so in oaxaca you you have the same masa and you go and you get a taco. Um, what's the difference between the taco you would get there, the product, not the cost or anything mm-hmm. else, but the product that you would consume versus what, how close is what you're doing at Expo to, to that? Uh, I think we are getting close. I think uh, starting with really good base, so like starting with really good corn makes a difference. I think that we have been playing in how much water, you know, like how do we hydrate the masa um, and kind of like dialing that in. I would say that we're not there yet. Right. Well, Um, I mean, the corn, so it's the same corn. I mean, it's coming from the same region. Mm -hmm. So you've got the the process of making the tortilla. And then what about what goes in? As what? far as the, the proteins, like the, you know. The meats, the vegetables. What, what do you, I mean, if you go and, like, what did, I mean, there's got to be tons of varieties, I'm sure, of tacos there, just like there are here. But then we tend to Americanize a lot of stuff. Like, in, you know, we sure. sell these cheap things. Mm-hmm. At, 
what's a taco like? like what is ex- the experience like of sitting down there and eating a taco? And, and <laughs> I think what, that the, the beauty of a taco is that it could be anything. It can be anything. Right. It's just you're taking something and you're making it really easily consumable by putting in this exactly. tortilla that you can hold and you eat. Exactly. So it might be mm-hmm. a protein or vegetable or some combination. Or right. beans, or, or beans. S- or salsa and salt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or chilies and salsa. You know, it could be as simple as that. That's why I think it is so important that the tortilla itself, it's good. Yeah. Because that's what's really holding that's, everything else together. Yeah. Okay. And so many places, I think it's an afterthought. I mean, the, the tortilla is merely a vessel to get delicious things into your mouth. Yes. And we're trying to make sure that both parts of that are because mm-hmm. we, you know, the, the tortillas, some of the tortillas we've had down in Mexico were just served as tortillas that you, you it should you be just, delicious on its own right you should be able to just eat it yeah. pick it up and eat the tortilla and, and say and wow not okay. mm-hmm. this tastes like uh, corn got it. this this yep. you know, it, and it and it was a game changer i mean for me i can i can speak as a as a person who was born here in raleigh who hadn't done a ton of traveling through mexico until you know my relationship with angela um you know it's it's just night and day it's a completely different thing and you know i was I was such a gringo of, of like, you know, I want sour cream and shredded lettuce on a flour tortilla. Mm. and That's long gone. It's yeah. long gone now. <laughs> but, but, you know, it's not to throw shade at that uh, experience. Because it is that a is, different experience, That yeah. is delicious. And I will still happily eat some crunchy old El Paso, you know, taco seasoning, <laughs> ground beef tacos, because it, it has, there's nostalgia t- attached to an experience I had when I was a kid here having yeah. taco night. Right. But what we're doing is something that's different than that. And the, our goal, just like I want to have someone that comes into Gallo Palen that says, I've never had mezcal, I'm a vodka tonic drinker, to have mezcal and like it. I want the same person that comes in that says, I want a flour tortilla with seasoned ground beef and shredded lettuce and sour and cream. cream yeah. And say, okay, like I want you to leave enjoying this taco. Some people think they don't like corn tortillas because the stuff that they buy on the shelf at the grocery store, it tastes like plastic or it tastes like nothing and they don't know how to reheat it. And it, it's just this whole thing. It's yeah, but I think for us, like ultimately is about, yeah, having, you know, for us it's important that the offering that we, that we are making with Exvoto, it's intentional and it's got all this history and it's got all these thoughts thought process but that at the end of the day like it doesn't matter who it is that they can really just say like damn this is a really this good taco really good. right don't need to know the story and then, then some people like are going to be like yeah. i want to know it all yeah. and i want to support it all and some people are just gonna be like i like them yeah that's it's the end of good. it yeah. well and a lot of people also they ask about you know you said how close to to what we're going to do is it going to be yeah. to our experience down there i will say pretty different i mean in in all honesty it's it's and that's our intention. You know, we wanted to learn. I feel like before you can play, I learned this, you know, as I was becoming a, a bartender. Before you can create and make crazy cocktails that people have never had before, you have to learn the basics. Otherwise, you're just winging it. And yeah. you might get lucky and have something that someone likes. But if you don't know how to make the classics and yeah. why they were built that way, right. you can't riff on it. It's just like an instrument or any other sort of art form. So for us, we're not going to offer you a traditional taqueria like down in Mexico because there's delicious, amazing taquerias around Durham that we go to and love and love, support. Yeah. yeah, We want to do something that's rooted in tradition, that's fun for us, and also speaks to, to you know my tradition in, in North Carolina and, and Angela's experiences and all of these things that 
that are exciting to us in, in, a, in a food in the, in the vein of the food that we produce. Yeah. Um, so lots of, you know, nods to North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, we're definitely being playful with a lot of the things that we do. So we don't want to get pigeonholed too, too far down that you know, tradition. Right. Okay. It's gotcha. authentic. Yeah. It's authentic because it's authentic to, to us, us, but it's not traditional necessarily, but it is rooted in tradition. Um, yeah. And I think that we've also been really mindful about like claiming some sort of cultural, uh, accuracy of something right? right like this is something we loved and we want to bring it here yeah. and we're going to offer it in the best way that we know how yep but that it speaks you know from a, a, a place of honesty and creativity and fun um right i think people get bogged down um or can get bogged down in some of that tradition because there's a lot of that you know uh, in the food world and mm. for us I think it's more about just being authentic and, and being authentic to who we are and how we grew up and the foods that we love um, through the scope of this really amazing tortilla. Um, and not to, you know, also the tamales, you know, anything that's made with, with this ground corn, anything that, um, that we can do. Right now we're focusing on tacos and tamales, um, but we've played with, you know, a lot of different things that are made from corn. Um, another big thing is everything we do is gluten-free. Every single thing in the restaurant is gluten-free. Really? Okay. And so, you know, we're not going to stamp that on the top of the header and say, ex voto, gluten-free tacos. Corn's gluten-free. Yeah. So it's just a happy, you know, um, arrangement. Now, we have, we have navigated certain ingredients to make sure that everything's gluten-free. Um, but, you know, it's, it's another thing that's going to be kind of a hidden gem about what we offer mm-hmm. is that if someone has that sensitivity, they can come in and we can say literally... Don't have menu. to worry. Don't have to worry. Mm-hmm. Whatever you want. Right. You got some pulled pork in some of these things? Yeah, so is that's, that, a, that's a funny thing, to, uh, you know. People love uh, the, the, pork you, carnitas. You're from around here. <laughs> yeah, right. So we're doing, we're going to do a smoked version of a, carnita, mm. of a carnitas taco, and so that's one of our more popular ones right now is mm-hmm. that. It's kind of that marriage between North Carolina and, and Mexico. Yes. It's real good. Nice. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Boy, it's been really fun learning... Uh, through doing, you know, just being so fortunate, a schedule fly to serve restaurants and independent restaurants and doing this podcast and learning these stories and learning about, I mean, really putting so much more thought now these days into what I put into my body and why and where it comes from. And I mean, you know, I, you know, I grew up in Charlotte. I grew up eating, you know, my experience was three hard shell tacos with ground beef and cheese. Like I, I didn't even eat you know, no, like nothing. Hold the, hold the vegetables. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hold the vegetables growing up. You know, I think it was like a, I don't know when I was like maybe in my twenties when I started putting, you know, sure. shredded <laughs> iceberg lettuce on them or whatever. But, totally. uh, but now, you know, I'm whatever I can get. And, uh, um, in fact, I will say this, I, I have to say we, we actually go, um, I've got three kids and so my family has like, we, there's barely any places where we'll all eat. Mm-hmm. Where everybody's happy. Mm-hmm. I just, we ha- we go to Chipotle yeah. uh, and I got to tell you, they, that's some, that's, they do a good job. I mean, it's scale. Right. Like they've done a, they've done a good job. Like you said, totally. there's no, you know, um, uh, but what you're talking about has made my mouth water so ridiculously intensely especially because none of us have had breakfast <laughs> yeah, none of us had, had we all had black coffee um, and it's almost like one o'clock it, I know it literally is it's almost one o'clock uh, well okay so 
you're opening in hopefully in October. Hopefully and, so. Um, this year for sure. Yeah, this year for sure. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. How much? So, like, more? Are you? What's your? I mean, are you are you on this like every day? Is that? Are you ex photo all the time? Right or? now, right now, I'm I'm kind of a jack of all trades. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm in this traditional spot. So you know, we originally thought that ex photo was going to open much earlier than it. You know. Is. When did you think it was going to happen? November of last year. Yeah. Holy, really? Yeah. Yep. So we started been delayed making, that long, huh? Mm-hmm. It, wow. Okay. So we we started making arrangements to make sure that Gaia Pallone was was taken care of when I left, um, and we did that, and and then it became time where I'm just dead weight, you know, hanging around, um, and so I've I found a number of things to do in the in the interim. I do focus on trying to you know uh, do these pop ups. Yeah. Um, and build Angela the brand. Does, yeah, build the brand and, and just continue kind of exploring. I'm I'm the the connection between you know us and our chef. Yeah. Um, who's a, a long term friend of mine and uh, and now Evangela's and so yeah I'm I'm kind of I'd say twenty percent of my work working week is kind of involving Exvoto and then the rest of it is doing the stuff to pay the bills. Um, okay. But yeah, it's it's really fun and I mean I'm. I'm hoping that we can continue doing pop-ups until we open. Um, they've they have their own sets of challenges, but it really is fun um, getting to try new things in a in a really casual setting. You know, we offer three different tacos and one tamale each and then, time we do it. And then when it's out, it's out. And when it's out, it's out. When and it's out, we it's out. we start selling. And now people are 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 understanding. We've sold out every single event we've done um, at this point, and now people come right when we open and. You know, we so sell the, out the public we events. Sell you sell like what? Well, okay, so like, um, you do one of these. How many tacos and tamales will you sell? Like, what do you have? A, are you going into it knowing? All right, we're going to make this. Yeah, one? yeah that's right it. Right now, we're right now we're doing around uh, two hundred and fifty tacos and fifty to sixty tamales. Because okay, um, okay. that that actually is what it's prep what we can allows. Produce. Yeah, we can't okay. do more. We can't really make more than that. And and still make it transportable and okay. still be able to cook it in a timely way. Okay. So that's kind of maxing out, and that gives us basically a two-hour, two and a half-hour dinner that service. Was okay, got it. A couple hours and all right. And and you know, obviously, this is more labor-intensive than when the restaurant opens. You know, because we just don't have access to refrigeration and all these things. So, you know, we're using it as saying basically, if we can sell this many things in this amount of time. Only th- with only three of us making it work, then when we have five of us and actually have a fridge and things are conveniently located and all that stuff, then we should have no problem reaching this goal. Um, you know, and there's certain things that we do that there's obviously a shortcut for that we just aren't willing to do. So tamales are a thing that, you know, they're best. If you've never had a tamale fresh, I mean, right when it's done. From a pot. From, from a pot. I mean, pot. It, it is unbelievably different than anything I've ever had before. And I think that's the biggest change I've ever, I've encountered in this. Cause <laughs> I used to, tamales were an afterthought. Like I would never, I would eat a tamale at 3 a.m. When I lived up in Chicago, you know, they'd come around to the bars and sell them for a dollar a piece. And that was a tamale to me. I would never consider a restaurant, you know, specializing in doing tamales. But after I had some fresh tamales. Like we was, literally had, um, we were in, in Oaxaca doing a tour of the market i think it was the do you remember was it el mercado de la merced mm-hmm. yep. yeah 
And as we are leaving the market, there's this lady with this pot. And it was like, we, just, we got it out of there and we sat on the floor and we ate it with our hands. <laughs> and we were all like, just in such a state of bliss. Oh my God, it's it the was best. So amazing. I mean, and, and just, it, it didn't look or taste the texture. All the things were different. If I had just seen this on a plate, I wouldn't have even called it a tamale necessarily. Like I didn't understand that what has been Americanized um, and served to me all my life was just so far from from how good it is. And so, I mean, you know, I came back like maybe we should just do tamale. Like, <laughs> just tamales. Do tamales. Are like, yeah, like, it was no, a really beautiful experience. So for sure. that's a thing that, you know, we can only do X amount of and we can only cook them each hour. Okay. And so we're going to have to kind of figure out what that looks like for a, a service in Durham is maybe they're offered on the hour every hour and you know who knows we're gonna have to figure that out but the tamales are the first thing to sell out every time we do the pop-up yep. oh really mm-hmm. yeah when you do one like you went to bit like is it on a day when they're like, they were closed they're closed okay so yeah, they I mean, we're so grateful that we have friends that oh, yeah. are so willing to let us use their kitchens on days that they're closed and just help us continue to build this brand and promote yeah, um, we wouldn't have been able been able to do any of this with I mean, without the connections of all this this community and, and all these friends we have in Raleigh and beyond. I mean, we'd love to do more in Durham. You know, get closer to that location, um, and we're working on on that and building those relationships too. You are good people, and you have good friends here for good reason. Uh, and this is a great community uh, of of good people. <laughs> Uh, that have independent restaurants and yeah. support each other. Um, and this is an outsider looking in what I see. I see just tremendous high-level teamwork within the restaurant community here, it seems. That's what I take uh, from what I've, I've seen and experienced. It feels that way, you know. I've been here for 12 years. I've, I've seen this city and this industry change and grow in ways that a lot of people haven't. Um, and I think one of the things that makes it so special is that we all got everybody's back um, and everybody's really invested in everybody doing well. Yeah. And I think that when you have that, then collaborations like the many collaborations that happen in the city are possible and are successful. Um, and everybody's always stepping up, you know? To the challenges, uh, but in, in real, real uh, support of each other, and I think that's really, really beautiful. It is. It, it's not. I mean, you don't see it. Like, there's, it's weird how it's just. I don't know why it happens, but there's certain communities. I won't name them, but where there's like a lot more competition. It's like more cutthroat, and there's just not a lot of. You just get a sense that everybody's, you know, maybe tacitly support, but there's not the level of collabor- collaboration you see. In Raleigh, and a lot I, of places. I think it really comes from a place of intention. You know, if if I know that someone, if my neighbor is doing something that they really love, then I want to help them. Right. If I feel like they're doing something purely for business, you know, if they're a friend, I still might want to help them. But it's a if it, it's a different feeling. I feel like we're really lucky in that the people that are pursuing these, you know, um, mom and pop type operations, you know, they're doing it because they love it, not because it's an easy business. Because it's certainly not. Um, I think that that's where everybody has that bond. We're all a little bit crazy because we've chosen this life. I agree. Um, you kind of are. Yeah. You kind of are. The more I do, the more of these I do, and the more of you I get to know, the more I'm like, 
<laughs> well, and I think that there's something really bonding, you know, the experience of like really feeling. Um, I think nothing bonds people more than being in the, what is a good word to say it? Um, like on the ground, feeling defeated because of a really hard service mm. and knowing that you can just, you're a call away from somebody that's exactly, you know, that exactly knows how that feels and can support you. And then that tomorrow is a, is a brand new day. You know, yes. and I think that yes. having been able to have those moments with so many of the folks that are in this area, it's made us like, you know, we got you. Like, what do you need? When do you need it? <laughs> um, and I, I think that's really special. Well, I think Raleigh is a lucky community. I, I mean, I, I don't know, you know, I don't live here, so I don't know. I, I don't know how many people really understand. I think, I think it's a lucky community because there are so many people like y'all that are supporting each other. And it truly are, it's just not, this is not just a, you know, in business to make money kind of place in the restaurant community. I mean, there's, not there's certainly tacos. are some, but I mean, there's some uh, not some time, but yeah, yeah, you, you all just, uh, I think it's a, it's a, it's a great community for this business and, and the, the, the people that live here are, are fortunate. Um, well, okay. So I hope you all are able to open October. Um, Thank you. <laughs> we do too. Yes. I'm proud of y'all. I love y'all. I, I thank you for the time because I know how busy you are. Um, and we at Schedule Fly are just fired up to be able to serve folks like you. And I, I just really appreciate it. Thank you. Bottom Thank you. Heart. Yeah, absolutely. Um, can we wrap this up? And uh, I'd like to do really. You want to do it on, on like while? Wow. And uh, and Angela, uh, y'all are awesome. Appreciate it. This is.